The following is a presentation by The Tabernacle, a community of changed lives. For more information regarding service times or if you would like to make a donation to The Tabernacle, you can do so by visiting our website at www.thetabchurch.com. again uh, to the tabernacle. I want to add mine to the one you received from both Tim and Brian. I'm glad that you're here. And I just want to share this little public service announcement uh, before we get going. We've had two very packed services this morning. And I just want to say the front row is wide open. I mean, am I supposed to take that personal? I'm not sure. You know, some of you may not know, but there's these little markers that tell me not to come all the way to here, okay? And I usually stay right here. So if I spit on you from that far, it's on purpose. <laughs> so I'm just saying, I'm just saying, those of you that are sitting on laps in the back, that's your choice. But uh, uh, we are glad you're here, and you can sit where you want. Uh, thanks for making room. If you get extra credit for sitting in the front. It means you're courageous and brave. You go to heaven first. So um, I don't know if that's true. I don't know. I just made that up, but... Uh, um, we're in this series called Free, and today uh, we're going to start the actual study part, the teaching part. Uh, for the next 10 weeks, we're looking through uh, Romans chapter 13 uh, through chapter 16. And this has been called the greatest book that's ever written. And if you were here last week, or if you're not here last week, uh, we kind of gave a little intro to why we are free. Now, this is why it's important just from the get-go is Paul, in his letter, is now speaking to Christians who've understood the gospel and how they've been set free and what free looks like. So it's going to be real practical. So if you're wondering what it means to be a Christian or, or, or what our lives are intended to look like, the next weeks, I mean, they're going to be awesome. And I encourage you to read ahead. I encourage you to read ahead. In fact... Some of us, we still kind of, and I'm not trying to be offensive, I'm just pointing out the reality, some of us still treat church kind of like a drive through right? We go to a drive through when we want, and we make an order, and we expect to get what we want, and we want it quick, and then we want to drive off, okay? And the reality is, is, is faith is supposed to be more of a sit-down meal. In fact, more than that, it's supposed to be a life. And so the best way to really get God's word deep into your heart, deep into the places where it can really change things for you, I'm just going to give you a simple formula, is number one is to read ahead. So I told you where we're going next couple weeks, 
Romans chapter 13 through 16. If you don't have a Bible, come ask us or someone on staff or go to the hub, the big wooden things, and we'll try to get you one, okay? But read ahead. So then that's kind of like the seed is, is planted. And then you come here on a Sunday, hopefully if you can come live. I know not all the time can we be here live. A lot of people listen in online when they're not here. A lot of people, you know, I talk to all the time that have some other church, but they always listen in online with us as well. That's great. But it starts with you reading ahead, and then, you know, we hear God's word together, and then there's a third part. If you're in a home group, or if you're in a, uh, uh, you know, a women's group, or you go to fight club, or with youth or something, then come together with other Christians and talk about it. You know, at the very least, that could be a conversation over Sunday dinner. And then it's really working its way deep into your heart. Do you understand what I'm saying? I never get something the first time through. And I have the traffic tickets to prove it. We learn through experience. Now here's the second thing, probably even more important that I want to say. Is if if you don't believe that we're free and have been set free by Jesus Christ through his sacrificial death on a cross, through his death, his burial, his miraculous resurrection, and his ascension where he sits at the right hand of the throne of God. If you don't believe that that truly makes you free, today's sermon, you're not going to like it all. You won't like today. Today's one of these sermons. You're not going to like it. So you have to come to this place of... um, Really believing that you're free. Remember what we said is because of what Jesus did, we are set free from our past. Because of Jesus offering himself as a sacrifice, dying on the cross, if I believe that by faith and I receive his grace, he pays the penalty for my sin. He pays for my past. Do you believe that? There's more to that freedom. If you believe that, and some of us live there and we don't live in the present, that means His Holy Spirit lives in me. That means that positionally I've been made clean and pure and now I'm in the process of being set free from sin's power. Because the Holy Spirit lives in me, now I have the freedom to say no to sin. That means if I'm a Christian, I don't get to just say, well, I just can't do it. I can't stop sinning. I just sin all the time. That may be true generally, but don't ever misjudge the power of God. You do have the power. You may not be accessing that power. You may not be utilizing the community of faith and accountability and the tools and the resources that comes with being a child of God, but you have the power not to sin. And so if I've been justified, my past has been paid for, then I am being sanctified. I'm in this process, right? Being set free from sin's power. Do you believe in that freedom? A little less. We're all about justification, but sanctification, we're like, I guess so. Do you believe that the power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you? Well, now you're, you're busted, okay? That also means we've been set free eternally. Because if his promises are true and his Holy Spirit lives in me, his promise means that someday I will be set free from sin's presence forever. That's glorification. That's heaven. I don't get to skip the middle part. I've been set free from my past. I'm being set free in my present and my future is free. And if you don't believe that, you're going to hate today. You're going to hate it. You're not going to even believe it. So Romans chapter 13, 
we jump right into verse 1. And Paul gets real practical. He says, since we're set free, now this. Pucker up. Here it comes. Verse 1. Everyone must submit to governing authorities. Well, I quit. I'm out. (laughs) Right? There we go. Hit the door. Ushers lock the doors. No one's getting out alive. Everyone must submit to governing authorities. For all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if you are doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. Pay your taxes too for these same reasons, for government workers need to be paid. They are serving God in what they do. Give to everyone what you owe them, pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them, And give respect and honor to those who are in authority. This is God's word for God's people. If you're sitting here today and you're not a Christian, you must be thinking like, what in the world? Is this like government civics class Sunday? Yeah. That's how practical and tactical God's word is. And if you don't believe in Jesus, you don't believe in God, you don't believe in the gospel, you don't believe that he died defeating Satan, sin, and death to set us free, this will make no sense to you. In fact, if you're not a Christian, do what you want. Do what you want. But if you are a Christian and you believe that there's no wasted words in scripture and this is God's word for God's people, then what Paul just said to us, if I could summarize it in one point, is you and I are free to submit. We are free to submit. We've been set free in order to offer that freedom back and submit. Stay with me. We're free to submit. Well, he must be talking about submitting to the governing authority of God. Oh, it says in the book of James, submit yourselves to God. But he's speaking here very plainly about submitting yourself to your government. To your city government, your village government, your township government, your county government, your state government, your federal government. Is he telling me to submit to Donald Trump? Is he telling me to submit to Barack Hussein Obama? Yeah. Yeah, he is. And he's going even further. He says, be very careful. If you rebel against that authority, you're rebelling against God himself. What? What if I live in Pakistan? What if I live in North Korea? What if I live in Stalin's Russia in the 50s? Surely not. 
Yeah. He's saying, you've been set free. Now submit yourself to government authority. Doesn't sound right, does it? What about abortion? What about state-sponsored abortion? What about genocide? What about higher taxes? What about lower taxes? What about fracking? What about global warming? What about birthers? What about Tea Party? What about make America great again? What about Taliban authority? What about banana republic dictators killing their own people? What about genocide? Everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority comes from God. Told you it wouldn't be easy. So let's break it down. We're free to submit. But before we submit, we have to understand why. We have to understand the theological underpinnings of this. Okay? Paul states it here. And by the way, the best way to understand Scripture is with the rest of Scripture. The best commentary on Scripture is all the rest of Scripture. So I'm not going to give you human opinion. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. And what he says right here is that all authority is from God. And all authority is from God and it's for our good. You have to understand that. All authority is from God and it's for our good. Now, when we take good things and make them God things, then it becomes a bad thing. Have you heard me say that before, some of us? Right? So everything that God created and made good is good in and of itself. But when sin comes in and our wickedness and selfishness comes in and this whole idea that I deserve better comes in, then good things become God things and that's a bad thing. Couple quick examples. Sex is a good thing that God made. It's not a bad thing. But when God's people take a good thing and make it a God thing, you worship it, think you deserve it, think it's your right, then a good thing becomes a God thing. That's where sin jumps in, and now it's a bad and dirty thing. So when we keep it in its proper context, it stays a good thing. Same thing with alcohol. Alcohol is not a mistake. Jesus drank wine. Sorry to break it to you, okay? But some of us, we take a good thing and we worship it and make it a God thing and then we find ourselves having to go to a little club to learn how to not make it a God thing because it's become a bad thing and you're beating your wife. Or you got a DUI. Make sense? So when good things become God things, then it's a bad thing. We worship the creator, not the creation. Same thing with government. Government and authority goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. Before sin. Genesis chapter 1, God created everything, including human beings. He created man in his own image, stay with me, created the male and female, and then he gave them a job. Be fruitful, multiply, govern the earth, have dominion over the animals and the trees and the plants and the oceans and the seas, right? God put human beings in charge of the earth. That's authority. That's Government. It's a good thing. So all authority is a gift from God and it's for our good. Now we messed it up. We messed it up two chapters later, didn't we? Right? You guys, just, come on, don't make me do this. We don't have all day here. Wake up. This is my third time through. This is your first time. Suck it up, buttercup. Let's go. All right? So in Genesis chapter 3, we, our first parents, shook their fists in God's face 
rebelled, and we paid the consequences, did we not? We didn't want that government. We didn't want any authority. We wanted to be a law unto ourselves. And so a good thing that God gave us became a God thing, and we're living in the consequences, and it's a pretty bad thing. But make no mistake, he says here, all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. You mean to tell me that that leader of North Korea was placed there by God? Donald Trump? Our governor? Hitler? And Pharaoh? And Nebuchadnezzar? And Herod? And Caesar? You see, you don't get to be a king, you don't get to be a president, you don't get to be a governor, you don't get to be a dog catcher, you don't need to be that guy at my soccer game with a whistle. Unless you have God say so. Now you can believe scripture or not, but that's what he said. All authority, even bad authority, is only there by God say so. Why would he do that? What about genocide? What about death? What about systematic rape and torture and abuse and theft? Who am I to say to God, what are your purposes? Right? Deuteronomy chapter 29, 29, that there are secret things that belong to the Lord our God, but the things that he has revealed, both us and our children, we're responsible for them. God has purposes and plans that he's working on that you and I don't have any idea about. You know, I'm thinking about Pharaoh, that horrible, you know, king of Egypt, oppressing God's people, ordering the slaughter of the Hebrew baby boys, Right? In Hebrews chapter 5, you know, when Moses comes to him and says, let God's people go, he said, who is this God? I know no God but me. And he defied God. That little Pharaoh and his little puppet empire was only there because God said so. Because God's response was, I put Pharaoh there for this very purpose, that this would bring glory to my name. And did God not smite? I've been looking for a way to use that in a sermon. Did God not smite? Pharaoh in Egypt and bring glory to his name? You see, God's got a purpose and a plan. And so theologically, we come to that all government is from God and it's for our good, even bad government. This scripture tells us very plainly, there's no getting out of it, that if you're a Christian and you've been set free, you're free to submit. You're free to submit. And you and I are called to be good citizens of whatever government we find ourselves in. We're called to be good citizens. We're called to pay our taxes. We're called to obey the laws. We're called to uh, show honor and respect. What do you put about, about politics on your Facebook page? What do you like and forward on Twitter about your government? Or maybe it was the last eight years. Or maybe it was the eight years before that. Was it respectful? Was it honoring of God's ordained authority? Wow. Guys, I've told you before, I graduated with a triple major in education, history, and U.S. government. This passage has convicted me to the bone. Rip my heart right out. Our nation was birthed in rebellion. And here he says, 
that we're called to be good citizens even if it's a bad government. You might say, oh, well, Paul's just, you know, he's just going off here. No, let me give you a little bit of context. Earlier in this same book, Paul reminds us that we are crucified all day long. He was referring to the fact that the church in Rome, who he's writing this letter to, was being persecuted and some of them killed. Paul also knew that the government authorities were going to read this letter. And so there's a double implication in there. He's saying, Christians, you've been set free. You can submit to this earthly authority. You can and you should. This is what you ought to do with your freedom. You're free to submit. But he's also reminding the government authorities that they're only there because of God's say so. And they must also submit. You see, even bad government is better than no government. Some of us don't believe that because we're from America. Even bad government is better than no government. Yes, even the government of North Korea is better than anarchy. Anarchy is the government of hell. I don't know how you can call yourself a Christian and an anarchist at the same time. Scripture says our God is a God of order, not a God of chaos. And anarchy is chaos, where everyone is a law unto themselves. It's what got us into this mess. So even bad government's better than no government. And he says if we rebel against that authority, we will be punished. And it goes even further to say that government authorities, even the bad ones, are actually God's servants. Now they may not be good servants of God, But he reminds them, you're God's servant, Pharaoh. You're God's servant, Mr. President. You're God's servant, Mrs. Senator. You're God's servant, Mr. Dog Catcher. You're God's servant, Mr. Whistle Guy. And that's my own confession. That authority, it's better to have a bad referee than no referee. He says, if you owe taxes, pay your taxes. Christians have no business evading taxes. Well, that's just man's law. Okay, yeah, but you're stealing from God. Because God placed that authority, and that authority is taxing you, and he's saying that my servant deserves to be paid, and you're not paying your taxes. Whether you like the tax or not, pay your taxes. Well, I just disagree with where my taxes are going to. Do you realize who is the Caesar when Paul is writing this? Paul is writing this to the church in Rome, and Caesar is a guy named Nero. Nero set Christians on fire and put them on poles and used them to light his garden as torches. That's where the tax money's going to. And Paul says, you're free to submit and pay your taxes to this earthly authority. They're God's servants. And make no mistake, the implication is they'll give an account for those torches. Your job is to submit. You see, you could say to a certain degree, Christians... That the mission of the Christian is to submit. Our mission is submission. Our mission is submission. That's what we do with our freedom. Did Jesus himself not do that? Jesus submitted himself, first of all, to flesh. The creator. Right? Submitting himself to a womb. To being birthed. He submitted himself to his parents, sinful, Mary and Joseph. He submitted himself to school. He submitted himself to rabbis. 
He submitted himself to God. He submitted himself to Pilate. Pilate himself said when Jesus wouldn't answer, don't you know that I have the authority to either set you free or crucify you? What was Jesus' response? You have no authority except that which is given to you by my Father. And then he submitted himself to crucifixion. He let his created nail him on a cross. Our mission is submission. Just like Jesus. Now the reason we don't like this sermon is because most of us still live for the here and now. Most of us are still committed for the four score and 20 that we get on this earth. And we don't believe in the future freedom. We're living for everything right now, get as much as we can right now, hang on to the right now, and we don't believe that we really serve a king and a kingdom that will never end. You see, if I believe that I serve a king and a kingdom that will never end, I'm free to submit to anything. I can survive anything because I know where I'm going. And I know that if your authority is used over me in a bad way, that you'll stand and give an account before God. Submission is our mission. And one of the reasons it's our mission is because when we as Christians, get this, when we as Christians submit to authority, we're reflecting God's created order. We're reflecting not only what Jesus did, but what we are called to do as servants of God. In the book of James, it says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I'm called first to submit myself to God. I submit myself to his word. I submit, or I submit myself to the authority of Jesus Christ. I submit myself to the leading and the power of the Holy Spirit. But it goes on. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What does that mean? That means in the family of God, in the church of God. This is part of the painful part of being a part of a church. Is I submit to you and you submit to me. We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Well, what does that mean? That means we give love. We give service. We give honor. We show respect. When you walk in here, you submit to the ushers. Right? The ushers submit to a team leader. The band submits to the sound crew. The sound crew submits to the band. The pastor submits to the board. The staff submits to the pastor. We all submit to one another. I don't use my freedom to hurt your freedom. If you're a weaker brother and you're stumbling with something, I don't take my freedom and throw it in your face. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And a lot of us avoid church. You know why? It's because we're full of pride and we submit to no one. And we want to believe in God, but we don't really want to submit to God. We want to be a law unto ourselves. We're just like our first parents. It goes on in Ephesians chapter 5. He begins speaking about marriage. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You don't submit to him or submit to her because of their looks or because they're such a good husband or such a good wife. A husband and wife submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because he said so. And because he set me free. You want to know the key to a good marriage is? Mutual submission. But then it goes on in Ephesians 5. There's all kinds of submission that goes down in a home. When you have a home with a husband and a wife and children, it says, first of all, that the parents are submit to one another. Then it goes on to say, okay, if there's a tie vote, wives, you have to submit to the husband. Hasn't been a single amen to that all weekend. Take it up with God. I'm not afraid. 
Then it goes on in the same passage to say, children, submit to your parents. And then I got a ton of amens. Last night, I heard one single female voice go, amen. And I said, oh, you didn't uh, amen to submit to your husband, did you? About how to riot in here. But you see how that works? Because that authority is given for our good. And before you're sitting there as a man thinking that you're something, uh, you're called to submit to God, to his word, and you're called to submit to his church. And I've told you before, there's a lot of men that'll come up and, you know, they'll, they'll start barking at me about, man, she's the most, she just, I can't lead her, and I'm trying to be a godly man, but she doesn't respect anything. Uh, do you go to church? Well, no. Are you a member of a church? No. Are you accountable to any other men? Well, no. But I believe. No, you don't. You don't submit to anything. You're a jack wagon. I wouldn't submit to you. I wouldn't let my dog submit to you because you're dangerous. Sorry if I hurt your feelings, but someone's got to tell you the truth. You find a man who submits himself to God, who submits himself to God's word, who submits himself to a church, who submits himself to other men, who can speak into his life and call out his sin in repentance, who submits himself to a pastor or a group of pastors, submits himself to membership, submits himself to the needs, loving, respecting, and encouraging his wife, uh, you'll find a woman that will follow him to hell and back. Submission is our mission. We're free to submit. Children, you're called to submit to your parents. Students, you're called to submit to your teachers. Athletes, you're called to submit to your coaches. And all of us as citizens, no matter what country we're in, we're called to submit to governing authority. Even if it's bad authority. Pay your taxes. Show honor. Show respect. That's who Jesus was. That's who we are. If you're an employee, submit to your boss. I've had multiple conversations with men over the years where they've lamented how, how horrible their boss was. In fact, I'm thinking of at least three different conversations where a guy has told me that if it wasn't for him, the business that he's involved in wouldn't even be surviving. And that the boss doesn't have a clue and that it was all him and he's made the business what it is and the boss just goes and spends all the money and he does all the work and he's like the second in charge but doesn't get the money or the respect or whatever he thinks he deserves. And I find myself in all of these conversations saying the same thing. Here's the deal. Here's the one thing you forgot. He's the boss. And if you don't like it, start your own business. We still have the freedom in this country to do that. But your job is to submit to authority. My job is to submit to authority. I'm under authority. We're all called to use that freedom to reflect the glory of God and his created order by submitting. I got to hustle. You might be thinking, okay, where are the exceptions? Because there are exceptions. Very quickly, there are exceptions. Let me say this right now. If you're in a workplace or home area of submission where you're being abused, you need to speak up. Not right now, but I mean, you need to, some things should be private, but talk to a pastor, speak to a counselor, speak to authority. If someone is using their authority in an abusive manner, it doesn't mean we don't try to change that. And so my worst fear about this is that there's some woman here who's being abused and she's like, well, I'm just supposed to submit and take it. No, you're not. We've got a little special squad at Fight Club. Black Ops. kidding 
No, I'm kidding, really. Maybe. But if you're in a place where you're being abused, if you're a child, you're being abused, you need to talk to a pastor. You need to talk to a higher authority. Scripture doesn't say that you can't appeal to a higher authority. And by God's grace, we live in a country where we're protected from that. And so you're not called to suffer or to see your children suffer or to live in fear. But there are exceptions. How do we know where the exceptions are? Well, we know that there's exceptions because the Bible commends certain people at certain times that God called to display either civil disobedience or other types of disobedience. Right? I'm thinking about the Hebrew midwives who refused to throw those baby boys into the Nile River at Pharaoh's request or command. And they were commended by God. They were blessed by God. That was civil disobedience. They said, we're not going to participate in this genocide. And they hid the children in the reeds. They hid the children until they were of an age where they could be weaned and they were up on their own and they were too old to be butchered. I'm thinking of Rahab who hid the spies in Jericho. Right? That was civil disobedience. She was harboring spies from an army that was about to conquer her city. But God used her to save their lives, right? And she was spared because of it. She didn't submit to authority. What about Queen Esther, who defied the authority of the king, that no one was allowed to enter his presence unbeckoned. And even though she was the queen and she was his wife, she risked her own life by barging in and begging for the lives of the Jewish people. That was civil disobedience. There are exceptions. How do we know when the exceptions are? That's where this sanctification process, that's where it gets sticky and it's got to be done prayerfully and carefully and using God's word. Because there is an exception. Peter displayed an exception, right? In Acts chapter 5 when he and the disciples were dragged before the religious leaders and ordered to stop preaching the name of Jesus. And they went out and did it anyways. And so they were dragged in again. And after a severe beating, they took their punishment. They submitted themselves to it. They were ordered again, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And Peter's response, remember, sorry, we must obey God rather than men. You see, there's your exception. And he was following Jesus' example. Although Jesus submitted himself to authority, there are times when God's authority trumps, see how I did that? Man's authority. The classic example is that story from Jesus' life in Mark chapter 12. In Mark chapter 12, there, you know, Jesus is getting caught up in the politics of the day. You've got the religious people that you know, uh, are, are trying to co-opt him for their side. And you've got more of the liberal religious people that are trying to co-opt him from their side. Then you've got the zealots that hate the Romans because the Romans are occupying Israel. And they're trying to start a resistance movement to kick them out and start a war. In fact, they started several wars. And they're all trying to figure out whose side Jesus is on. And he does all these miracles and he's got a huge crowd. But the problem is, is he's not making Israel great again he's doing something else and so they try to trap him do you remember this story they all got together all these enemies and they sent somebody to go ask Jesus a trick question and it was a question where we would be forced to either take sides with the Romans or take sides with the Israelites and the question went like this they said good rabbi flattery teacher you're so great tell us are we supposed to pay taxes to Caesar? That's a trap. That's a trap. 
Because if he says no, he's going to be arrested, fomenting revolution. He's in trouble with the Romans, maybe even killed. If he says yes, does not he know how bad the Romans are and where that tax money is going? The tax was despised as much as the Romans were for a couple different reasons. One, because the Romans were there. They'd invaded and taken over their country. Second, they were forced to use their money even though it was not theirs. Thirdly, because of the inscription on the money. In fact, I, I, I got a picture of a denarius here for you. This is a denarius. This was the tax that you would pay. And there's arguments about how many days wages or whatever. But that's Caesar's face on the coin. Caesar saying, all the money, all the specie belongs to me. And now you get to pay it back to me in the form of this tax that was despised. And if you don't, you suffer the consequences. Well, I don't read Latin. But the initials of these Latin words, I am told, say this. Tiberius, Caesar... Get this, son of the divine. Isn't that an interesting position that the real son of God is in? Caesar's calling himself the son of God. And he's got his face inscribed on a denarius. This is a trap. That's why the Jews hated it. So Jesus says to them, he goes, I see that you've set a trap for me. Why would you do this? Someone bring me a coin that you pay the tax with. And they brought him a coin. They brought him one of these. And Jesus said, whose face is on it? And the response was, it is Caesar's. And then he blew their minds. He said, then give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. But give to God what belongs to God. Whose face is on it? Caesar. Well, then you give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. But make no mistake, you give to God what belongs to God. And people tried to turn this into a church-state thing, as if somehow the church and the state are anywhere equal. Whose little coin is this in this little Monopoly game? Oh, that's his? Oh, son of God, very nice. Yeah, that's cute. Um... Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. But you give to God what belongs to God. The implication is, this is no God, this is God. If they'd have really understood, he was saying something so explosive, so incendiary. He's talking about a brand new thing. He's saying, no longer is God associated with one country or another country. Israel, you don't get to claim him as this is God's ordained country. The United States, you are not God's chosen servants, a Christian nation. And neither is North Korea or Russia or Haiti. He's saying there is a king and there is a kingdom that is bigger than all of this. And you can give to Caesar whatever little Caesar in position of authority is over you. Give to them what belongs to them. Their taxes, their honor, the respect, what's owed them as God's authority and God's ordained as God's servants. But make no mistake, you give to God what belongs to God. So how do you know what the exception is? If Caesar tries to forbid what God commands... Or tries to command what God forbids. That's when you disobey. And that's true of government. That's true of your boss. That's true of your spouse. That's true of your parents. The only time to disobey. And choose to give 
only what belongs to God and not give to Caesar, if what Caesar is demanding either forbids what God commands or commands what God forbids, that's the only time. Otherwise, you're free to submit to government. Do you know where their taxes go? Yeah. That tax that Jesus commanded that they pay, that denarius that I showed you, that paid for his own execution. That paid for the nails. That paid for the tree. That paid the wage of the butchers that opened his back and spit on him and mocked him. You see, authority will be called into account as well someday. And if you believe that, then you're okay to give them what they demand. Not if it forbids what God commands or not if it commands you to do something that God forbids. That's when we call, no, time out. Remember a friend of mine that was in a small group that was like, well, I was like, hey, where were you this afternoon? Well, it was really hard, man. As you know, the boss, we had a really good week, so he took us all to the gentleman's club. Like, dude, you're a Christian. What in the world? You're married. What are you thinking? Well, I didn't want to get into trouble with my boss. You're an idiot. So you went and participated in sin because you're afraid of your boss. You gave to Caesar. You gave nothing to God there. And there's nothing gentlemanly about that club. We're, we're free to submit to authority as long as it doesn't violate what God commands or forbid. The same. So what do we do with this? We've got to be careful. Because even in our disobedience, we have to be loving We have to be respectful. But make no mistake, all authority will give an account. Husbands, you'll give an account for your home. Fathers, you'll give an account for your children. Mothers, you'll give an account for your children. You'll give an account for your work in the home. Pastors, you'll give an account for your church. Board members, you'll give an account for how you ruled. Referees, you will give an account for how you blew that whistle. And I have to give an account for how many times that I have disrespected. I'm convicted of this. Because even bad authority is better than no authority. And you can try to run from it and all you're doing is running into the rock that is the truth of God and His gospel. So how's God calling you to respond today? How's He calling you to respond? In your home, at your work, at your job. Have you been respectful? Are you doing your duty? Are you working as unto the Lord? Are you working for a person that you despise? Are you viewing him or her as God's servant? That is only there by God's say so? Whether good or bad? As hard as that is to understand? Are you planning a revolution? I mean, I'm thinking about the birth of our own nation. You know, and I know there were rabble rousers that didn't realize we were the freest country on earth. And I know that there was people that it was all just about money. They just wanted lower taxes. But I do believe there were some biblical Christians in that midst. But even they didn't get it right. None of us are going to get it right perfect. And though our forefathers, you know, stood on the Lexington Green and said, look, we don't want this fight. We've tried to make peace. We're trying just to do our duty. We're trying just to defend What the king has told us is ours to defend and they were in a no-win situation. On Lexington Green, they said, gentlemen, don't fire unless fired upon. But if they mean to have a war, let it begin here. 
Why was it so important not to fire until fired upon? Why was it so important for our forefathers to stand there shoulder to shoulder and receive the first blow? That was a horrible battle strategy. Because they knew that they had no right under God to raise a fist unless the fist was raised first. Then they could defend their hearth and home. And were they perfect? We're a Christian nation. No, we weren't perfect. Because we wrote down, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and we should have added unless you're black or Native American. So even the biblical Christian forefathers agreed in the counting for the representatives in the, that, that well, well, you can't count black people. Okay, they're three-fifths of a man, fine. And a hundred years later, we paid for that the lives of 500,000 American boys more than any other war we've ever fought combined you see all authority will give an account before God and all those of us under authority will also give an account before God and Christ died so we could be free to submit or smash ourselves against the rock of his authority so it's your choice how we respond today I'm reminded of the story of a a battleship at night, dark, foggy, stormy night, trying to head home, seeing a light dead ahead, not knowing what it was. And the captain says, send a message that they should alter their course 20 degrees. Message came back. The light has responded and said that we should alter our course 20 degrees. The captain in authority says, you send a message back and tell them, I am a captain and you will alter your course 20 degrees. And the response came back, I am a seaman first class. You alter your course 20 degrees, Captain. And now, full of all of his righteous authority, he said, send a message. We are a battleship. The message came back, I am a lighthouse. (laughs) Captain altered his ship. Would you bow your heads with me? Band's going to come. We're going to sing. We're going to praise God with our worship. We're going to continue to praise and worship Him with our giving. And while we do that, I'm wondering if some of us need to do business with God today. If you're a Christian, maybe, maybe God's convicted you. And your only response is Repentance. Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian and you've wondered how Christians relate to government and this is the first time that you've heard it. Maybe for the first time it's made sense to you. Whoever you are, I challenge you to respond to God and maybe even spend this time in prayer. Think about the authority relationships in your home. Think about the submission that you owe to your wife and to her needs to her hopes and to her fears. Think about the submission that you owe to your husband and the respect and the honor that's due him. Think about the submission that you owe to your parents, to your teachers, to your coaches, to your boss, to the dog catcher, to the president. Whether good authority or bad, we all give an account to God. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would give us courage 
that you would help me to submit, to freely submit because you set me free to do that. God, where there needs to be repentance, I pray that we would freely repent and freely submit to you and your word because of who you are, because of what you've done, because we don't live for the petty little kingdoms that demand honor, duty, respect, and taxes from us. God, as Christians, we're like cockroaches. We can survive anything. And you've called us to live for you, the king, in a kingdom that will never end. You've called us to belong to you, God, where we never have to fear submitting to you because you're a good king. You're a good God. So God, as we worship, I pray submission as our mission would be what we use our freedom for. It's in Jesus' name we pray.